The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, hear a legislative update along with information about the upcoming National Convention of the American Council of the Blind. As ACB Reports for May 2006 goes to production, the United States Congress is on spring break. They call it recess. ACB's Day Al Muhammad reports on the budget which did not happen before this break. On Friday before they left, HCON Res 376, which is the budget resolution for 2007, was pulled from the floor. The reason for that is because there's been a lot of discord between conservatives and moderates, and the Republican leadership just couldn't get enough votes to pass the bill. Some of the issues debated by the legislators on the Republican side involved caps on emergency spending, uh, earmarking uh, reform language, line-item veto legislation, and the establishment of a special sunset commission that would decide when funding for different programs terminated. And then the moderate side was saying, you can't just lock funding in and make cuts. We want you to at least make a minimum 2% increase above last year's level for domestic discretionary programs. And what that means in English is to say, come on, at least a 2% increase in things like education, health care, housing, veteran services. The Democratic side of the aisle has concerns over the fact that this budget resolution doesn't discuss any of the Iraq and Afghanistan spending. So they're saying your numbers aren't realistic because none of that's in there, and that's several billion dollars. It also doesn't include the cost of uh, implementing the president's proposal to partially privatize Social Security. And it also doesn't account fully for the cost of extending the 2001 and 2003 tax cuts past 2010. April 15th is the deadline for conferencing and Congress to come up with this budget blueprint. And, you know, if you think about it, if they started a two-week recess yesterday, they're going to miss the April 15th deadline. As we record this, this is April 11th. What will happen after they miss that April the 15th deadline? If the final one is not adopted by the 15th, the House Budget Committee creates one and sends the Appropriations Committee just a spending ceiling. They say, here's the final amount, and they kind of make it consistent with the most recently adopted budget from last year. I think last year set the amount at... $866 billion. Although that sounds like a lot of money, that $866 billion is about $7 billion below what the president's budget had. And from some of my previous updates, the president's budget request has drastic cuts to all sorts of programs. So if it goes ahead using this, it means we're actually going to end up with even less. The last time I think Congress failed to approve like a final budget blueprint, which I think 2004, Nine out of 11 of the appropriations bills were wrapped into this huge omnibus bill, and it means they tack on everything in the kitchen sink, and it's all thrown into a giant bill. And so it gets insane to start to follow and track and try to make sure that nothing gets cut. So that's something to watch out for. In March, I talked about the video description legislation, H.R. 951 and uh, Senate Bill S. 900. And uh, I recently issued a challenge to ACB members saying, if this is an important piece of legislation, let's get out there and lobby for it. And I was very pleased to report we have eight new co-sponsors on the House side. Unfortunately, we don't have quite as many on 
the Senate side, we actually haven't had anyone sign on new to the Senate side. Now we need to concentrate on the uh, Senate side saying, you know, do this. It's an important thing. Video description offers access to American culture. So it's not too late yet to no, write to your legislators about that. Exactly. And when people call and tell me, I said, I called my senator and he said he was going to do it. And it's t- going to take more than one phone call. You know, call back a week later saying, hey, you said you were going to do this. The most difficult thing I think for people to grasp sometimes is the fact that these guys get several hundred phone calls a day. And um, let me tell you, when I worked in there, there's a secret little rule. It's called the three-minute rule. The idea is you get rid of whoever's on the phone as fast as possible. You don't let anybody talk to you for more than three minutes. They usually don't even keep them on one minute. Call back. Let them know you're serious about this. Because what that three-minute rule seems to indicate is the fact that it's one call. But if you keep calling, they're going to know you're serious. And that means they're a lot more likely to take your legislation seriously. So video description is still waiting to be moved and needs our help. What else is going on? The other thing is the um, H. Conres 235, our pedestrian safety bill, was actually reported out of the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. And now basically the goal is to get it to the floor of the House of Representatives for a vote. We're still trying to get more support for it. There are only 20 co-sponsors. You don't need them necessarily co-sponsor. But the idea is if you can, again, let them know you're serious about it, they're more likely to get it to move. The fact that it came out of committee and just needs to be taken to the floor for a vote shows that obviously somebody was making some phone calls to the committee members. There again, your phone calls work. Exactly. The Senate version, which is SRS 71, still has a long way to go. Why? There are only four co-sponsors. And so we really want to encourage people to, you know, don't just call your representative, call your senator as well. It takes both sides to be able to get this thing to move. How about the Louis Braille coin legislation? S-231, it's still in the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. It's a bill to authorize the issuance of a commemorative coin to honor the life and legacy of Louis Braille. One of the issues that ACB has is the legislation calls for the proceeds from the sale of the coin to be given to the National Federation of the Blind for Braille Literacy Services. Although we think the idea to commemorate a coin namely Braille is great and that the funding for it goes for literacy initiatives, we think it's fabulous. The issue is the fact that there are a lot of other organizations out there whose sole mission and purpose is Braille literacy. And we think that the current choice for sole funding is just a little contentious and could cause some problems down the road. We're asking for an amendment to the bill that will allow other organizations that are involved in Braille literacy initiatives to be eligible for those funds as well. This last week, S2321 obtained, I think, eight new co-sponsors, and I know there are a lot of members out there and affiliates who are continuing efforts to oppose the measure the way it's currently drafted. We at the National Office hand-delivered a number of letters to every Senate office explaining ACB's position and encouraging senators to offer that amendment that would more equitably distribute the funds. So if you give them a call and say, we do want to encourage something for those other organizations that are doing Braille literacy and have done it for many years, the Senate switchboard number is 202-224-3121, and let them know how you feel about it. The thing is, we don't object to the idea of of a Louis Braille coin. We object to the idea that only one group is going to benefit from that when there are others out there who've been doing the work many years longer. While we were setting up, you said something about voting. One of the things that um, ACB got involved in this year was with regard to the issue of uh, voting as it relates to HAVA, as it relates to local regions, local polling stations, protection and advocacy, and information and education. 
Uh, most of the time, I spend more time dealing with legislative aspects and the guidelines for the entire voting system as a whole. And it isn't often I get the opportunity to jump down to the educational arena. And that's one of the things we're actually very proud to say we did this year and actually subcontracted and received a grant to do that. Part of that is um, a series of articles that are aimed at offering education support for anyone who's involved in the issue of voting and who'll come in contract with visually impaired voters. Because there are people out there who are interested, they just may not know. And this is election officials, this is poll workers, um, this is people even running for office. I think one of the things that I know drives me crazy is the fact that there's a lot of information that comes in the mail for people about voting and about um, the different people who are running elections, but none of that is made available in alternative format. And so we just finished the first in the series of articles. And the first is, who is the visually impaired voter? And this gives election officials and poll workers an idea of the fact that this isn't just Grandma Jones down the street. We're talking about over 10 million people in the country. And what that breaks down to is about 1 in 250 people has some sort of visual impairment, and those numbers are actually growing. It also addresses the fact that this isn't just people who see absolutely nothing. This can be people whose functional vision allows them to read print, and that they still might, depending on lighting or print size, they're still going to need some sort of accommodation or assistance. And it's broken down into six areas. Like I said, first was who is the visually impaired voter, letting them know there's a whole length and breadth of who we are. It's not just this one stereotype that I think many people imagine when they hear, you know, blind or visually impaired. The second article is the idea of effective communication, and it talks about things from preparing written materials all the way to offering assistance. And the idea is because when everybody thinks about accessibility, when they think about people with visual impairment, they're thinking physical access to a place. And I'm like, if it's somebody who's visually impaired, access is usually access to information. Voters routinely receive materials in the mail, or information is posted that has to do with participating in the voting process, or is information to cast an educated vote. And those notices and those manuals and that information, all that stuff that is also available at polling stations, isn't in a format that's accessible. So that's one of the things we talked about with communication and having those materials available in alternative format, letting people know what is alternative format. Things like if you actually have to have those little hand-printed signs, which sometimes they do when they're putting stuff together temporarily at a polling station, come on, use some wide markers with a paper for high contrast. And then we talked about other options, like election officials can actually mail out tapes or large print or other versions of materials or uh, having it distributed to places such as regional libraries or rehab agencies where people with visual impairments can actually request it. We talked about labeling and signage. The Americans with Disabilities Act Accessibility Guidelines has specific specifications for the provision of braille signage and tactile signage. Simple things like it's a good idea to place all signs at eye level. Uh, if you're going to have emergency exits, clearly mark them. And then some simple things like how to offer assistance or give directions. So much of this is uh, simple things that you and I take for granted, but there are many people out there who do not know, and it's up to us to educate them, and that's what ACB is trying to do with these articles, right? Right. And where are these articles going? We're working with the uh, National Disability Rights Network, which is basically a network of protection and advocacy systems all over the country. They have one of the Help America Vote grants to help educate for election officials, poll workers, but also for their own advocacy systems who will probably get people who have problems calling in to give them the information they need to be able to assist um, visually impaired voters. What you just heard me listing off was just those first two sections. We have environmental awareness, 
transportation and guiding, legislation, voting technology, and voter choice to be the rest of them in this series. Dayal Muhammad is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind, Washington, D.C. To send comments and suggestions about this program, send an email message to reports at acbradio.org or write to American Council of the Blind, 1155 15th Street, Northwest, Suite 1004, Washington, D.C., 20005. The 45th Annual Convention of the American Council of the Blind will be held July the 8th through the 15th at the Hyatt Regency Jacksonville Riverfront Hotel in Jacksonville, Florida. ACB Radio's Marlena Lieberg recently talked with Convention Committee Chairperson Carla Rushevel about this event. You've been working really hard on this convention. Well, this is the time of year that we all get into the uh, planning mode and getting the registration together, pre-registration and the programs and all of the ACB affiliates and other uh, groups and companies and people that do things at the ACB convention. It has to be done about a minimum of three months out in order to make it happen. Why should we want to go to the convention? What's the hotel like? What are we going to find? And well, you're not going to do as much walking this year. That doesn't mean that you should not come prepared to uh, take a great number of steps. But the hotel and the convention areas are much, much more compact than they have been in recent years. In 2003 and 2004, we were in convention centers. That meant that there were two different structures to learn and also to traverse every day a lot of steps to get somewhere. And last year in Las Vegas, we were all under one roof, but just by nature of the casino and the amount of square footage in that meeting space and the fact that it was all mostly on one floor, you had a lot of steps. This year, the hotel is much more compact. The meeting space is stacked. And what we mean by that is that the ballroom and registration areas and an information desk type things are going to be on the second floor of the meeting area and then exhibits and breakouts are on the third floor and a number of the hospitality areas are on the fourth floor. Now, you still are going to have some ways to walk in in a couple of cases simply because if you have 25 meeting rooms, they take up some space. On the third floor, the exhibit area is in the pavilion, and it is actually in the center of a meeting space, has a hallway that goes all the way around the outside. As you're facing the exhibit hall, you'll find meeting rooms down the left and right side. There are also some other meeting rooms, but those will be rooms that we will make a special effort to put a lot of meetings into that space simply because it's going to be so convenient for everybody. Oh, that's great. The restaurants are on the first floor. There's the typical hotel restaurant that's open in the morning for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, There's the bar. And then there's also another restaurant that actually isn't part of the hotel but connects to uh, one end of the lobby. That restaurant is a very expensive restaurant in the evening. But at lunchtime, I'm going to tell you, Marlena, they have the best meatloaf and 
and chicken. <laughs> they have wonderful lunches, and they're hefty lunches, and they're very reasonably priced. There's another unique thing about Jacksonville, and you may have heard about this. The hotel sits on the St. John's River, and when you go out of the hotel, you can go down and cross the street. It's kind of like a four-way. You cross one way, then cross another. So um, actually, it wouldn't be four-way. It'd be uh, the one street comes in, and uh, so it's kind of like a T. But you cross the street there, and when you get on the other side, you are on a brick river walk. And you can walk down this walk with no streets to cross, no parking lots. There's a rail along the left side because, obviously, they don't want anybody going off into the river. On the right side along the walk are benches where you can walk out along here at night and sit and enjoy the breeze. There's always a breeze on that river. And um, after about a block and a half, you come to an entertainment area called the Landing. And the Landing always has music going outdoors, and they have outdoor seating at restaurants as well as indoor seating. And there's some shopping, and there's just all kinds of places to eat. There's a food court. You can find everything from something very inexpensive in the food court up to a very expensive restaurant. So there's lots of choices there. Are are we going to have the ACB Cafe? And yes, our plan is to definitely have a cafe. There's just not enough food outlets in the hotel to really accommodate our breakfast and lunch crowd. And um, we would like, obviously, to have people get into session on time, and ACB Cafe helps that happen as well as helps take pressure off the restaurants. Carla, will the ballroom itself be set up uh, like a schoolroom style again this year? That is the plan. Oh, good. Hi there. You're with Carla and Marlena. Who's this? It's uh, Jeff Lucasina. Has there been any news on the guide dog relief area? There will be two official relief areas. And they will be maintained as they have been since 2003. In 2003, as you know, we used an outside contractor to handle the relief area for the first time. And that was so successful in Pittsburgh that we have done so for the last two years. And I hope personally that we always have that outside contractor handle that area it makes the area consistent you know from year to year it's going to be clean and it's going to be maintained and it's going to be a safe place for your dog since we went to this process of having an outside contractor a person who is that's their living it's just been so much more successful now it certainly is expensive this last year we spent almost eleven thousand dollars on guide dog relief Wow. So it it costs a lot of money, but it is well worth the money. Budget-wise, we're looking for some support for that relief area, but we won't have to have as many this year because we won't have quite as many people as we had in Las Vegas. Therefore, we won't need four relief areas this year. And we have a caller with another question. Hi there, you're with Carla and Marlena. Who's this? Hi, this is Shirley. My husband was wondering how far... The airport is from where the hotel is. The airport is about 25 miles, I think it is. It's about a $30 cab ride. In February, 
many people on the shuttle were paying $21 a person. But actually, if there's more than one of you traveling, the cab works out to be a better deal. Hmm. So, you know, just be sure and ask when you arrive right. and, uh, and check it out. Just don't go out and sure. assume that the shuttle is cheaper because it may sure. not be. All right. Well, thanks so much for calling. Well, thank you so much. It was good to talk with both of you. So that's a very good point that, you know, we automatically sort of assume the shuttle is the cheapest way to go, but you're saying that it may not be. Shuttles are not always cheaper, especially Uh. if there are several people in your party. So always check. In addition to that, sometimes if the difference isn't very much, perhaps the fact that the cab is more convenient it may not be worth your while to stand around and wait on the shuttle. Yeah, yeah. Also, be sure and ask the cab driver before you get in, and this is true no matter where you go, be sure and ask the cab driver how much that run is going to be. Yeah, exactly. Anything else you want to tell us that we haven't gotten to address yet? One of the questions that we often get concerns the registration process. And it has to do with what you check off on registration. Now, it's obvious that you check off those things that you're going to purchase tickets for. But there's a number of items on the registration form that carry no cost. A lot of people will go down through those items, and if it's free, they'll check it. And and you know that's what's happening sometimes because there may be four or five items happening at the same time, and they're all checked. When you get your registration forms and you start looking at those activities, even if they're free functions, you would really help us out if you checked those activities that you really, really um, plan to attend for two reasons. One, we enter the data for those items, even if they don't carry a cost. And that takes an inordinate amount of staff time, especially if there's a lot of people who mark the item, and they just don't know what they're going to intend. It's, oh, well, I'll just mark it because yeah, it doesn't yeah, cost anything. Yeah, yeah. The other reason to mark those items only if you plan to attend is because, let's just take an example. Let's say that um, uh, there's going to be, you know, DVS does a, a movie, and let's say they're going to do a movie, and 250 people sign up for that movie. Their costs are based on that 250. If only 125 show up, then they're out a lot of money that could have been spent on another area. So even though it might not cost you anything, uh, a lot of times those functions cost the sponsor a lot of money. Sure, because they have to pay for the meeting room. Well, they have to pay for it if there's any kind of food or beverage involved, even if it's water. Uh, A bottle of water from the hotel is $3.25 before tax and gratuity. So it's a major issue. I'd like to just touch on the new sponsor programs that are available as well. ACB this year has begun a new sponsorship program for companies or agencies or for anyone who would like to sponsor events There's event packages and exhibit packages that are available for as low as $1,000 for a Pearl sponsor, up to a Diamond sponsor who might want to name an entire day of the convention for their company. The Diamond sponsorships are $20,000, and there's a lot of opportunities in between. And then we've also expanded the individual sponsorship program of the convention. You know, for many years, 
we've had gold and silver sponsors available. Last year, it was just really, really successful, and we appreciated all of the support from everyone. This year, we are going to have bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. So watch on the registration form for the spaces to fill in those, and we do so appreciate all of the sponsors from the individuals that we receive, and there's also going to be new ways of recognizing those sponsors this year. Well, that just about wraps us up, but I want to make sure that you have gotten an opportunity to say everything that you want to make sure people have a chance to hear. I think the main thing that I want to stress to people is the importance of communication. It doesn't do any good to say to your neighbor or your friend, I wish I knew, I wish they do, I wish somebody would tell me. Communication is the key. If we know there's a problem or if we know there's an issue, then we can try to address it. We can't solve every problem. That just isn't possible. But at least we can make an attempt. Please let us know when there's a problem. The other issue that I think is very, very important at this point with pre-registration coming up, we ran into a problem last year on some of the tours where people didn't tell us that they needed a specific type of accommodation. Like they might not have checked on the registration form that they needed a lift-equipped bus. We don't know if you don't tell us. Yeah, that's really important. Right. We need to be told. We need to be told if you need an assistive listening device. We need to be told if you need vegetarian dinners. If we don't have that information, we can't plan appropriately. So just please communicate and let us know how we can assist. If we can't do something, we will tell you so. But if we don't have an opportunity to work on it, we sure can't make it happen. Well, Carla, it's been great having you on the show. I think you've given folks a lot of good information. And come back again and join me sometime. Anytime. Make your hotel reservations for the ACB National Convention by calling the Hyatt Regency Jacksonville Riverfront Hotel at 800-233-1234. Room rates are $79.95 per night plus tax. Listen to Marlena and her guests and call into her talk show each Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time in the United States. That's 1 a.m. Universal Time worldwide. Hear the show on ACB Radio's mainstream channel by going to acbradio.org. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. Connecting the blind community around the world, this is ACB Radio. 